Okay. Welcome to First Impressions, the podcast where we talk about our love for Jane Austen and all things related to Jane Austen and give a big middle finger to all the haters. I'm Kristen and I'm joined by Maggie. Hi. And we are joined today by Priya, our friend Priya, our IRL friend Priya, who you may remember um, as being Constantia on our Regency Days episodes of the podcast. Welcome, Priya. Hey, it's so nice to see you all. In person, Priya and I are together in the same room. So exciting. She's spitting all over my microphone. It makes me really uncomfortable. No, No, I'm kidding. We're sitting a reasonable distance away. I'll keep my eye on you. Oh my God. Like I came in here thinking it would be nice, but no, this is a podcasting's a battle. (laughs) Everything's great. We're so happy to have her join us this week. Yes, our resident Bridgerton expert, because she has read all the books. <laughs> that makes her an expert. <laughs> According, I mean, uh, compared to us anyway. Yeah. Priya, are you excited to talk about Bridgerton? Like you were specifically very like, I would love to come on the podcast to do this. Oh, yeah. Maggie and I were taking a walk, I think sometime in the middle of the pandemic. And I was like, I would love to talk about this. Yeah, she um, was like, basically, she said, let me let me clarify. She said, you better not do a Bridgerton episode without me. And I was like, oh, okay, damn. Well, yeah. And I will caveat by saying this, this is exactly I'm only an expert by way of having read all the books. But also because it brought me a lot of joy during the pandemic, that and romance reading, where I couldn't get my brain in shape to read anything but romance. And a lot of it was Regency and Georgian and Victorian era, thanks to my friend Diana, who gave me all sorts of recommendations. So I just read a lot. Again, not the expert, but I know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, let, remind me. So Bridgerton came out on Christmas Day, but it was 2019. Is that right? Or was it 2020? I can't even remember. Time has no meaning. Christmas 2020. Okay. So we had had a year. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Because it came out the same day as Wonder Woman 1984. And I spent Christmas Day eating chocolate and watching TV being very pregnant. It was a very good day. It was a good day. Yeah. 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 (laughs) TV and movies. I was like, the same day. What am I going to do? But the key was avoiding family, right? My family. (laughs) They're like, you're not going to spend time with us? No, you're a disease vector. Get away from me. Yeah. (laughs) We love our families. Uh, Yeah. So, okay. So Christmas 2020, it had been 10 months of lockdown, pandemic. The world was crying out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And this was like, was very of the moment. Like it hit everybody's craving. Like everybody like watched it in a day and like. But Priya, like, give me, give me a timeline here. So you read the Julia Quinn Whistledown series, right? Bridgerton series before the show came out? Yeah. So I think February, March, like when lockdown started, I think is when I first read them, or I might've read them a little bit earlier in 2019. I actually can't remember, but it wasn't that long before it was, um, you know what? It was actually before they made the announcement that the show was happening. So it definitely might have been 2019 because I don't think we found out until 2019 that they were doing it. Um, but it wasn't that much before the announcement of the show. So you liked it before it was cool. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, so that's amazing. So you read it. You're like, I love these. And then the magical thing happens in our lives where they you realize they're going to make a show. Where they're going to make a movie out of this beloved thing. Yeah. And like overall, like, so I know you were excited when you heard the announcement. When you watched the show, did it fulfill your every expectation of you, that you had from the books? Were you just like thrilled with it or did you have reservations? Uh, yeah. yeah, because 
the, the books were written in the 90s, so they're about 20 years old. So I was prepared for lots of change to happen. And also the world is very different from when Julia Quinn wrote them in 20, uh, whenever that was, 1994 or something like that. And so I knew when the show was going to come out that they were going to make some changes. And the fact that Shonda Rhimes is production company and I guess Chris Van Dusen was going to be the showrunner. I knew that they were going to take, I don't know, liberties is the right word, but they were going to do what they needed to do to tell a particular perspective on more modern, a more modern yeah. interpretation on the books. And, um, and I was all there for it. And the minute casting dropped, I was like, oh yeah, way into because I'm really interested in making sure we're being representative and in all of our pop culture. I was so glad. Yeah. That, that people got joy out of it. Um, I, I think it's a good point though, to bring up that the books were written a way long time ago. I, I remember okay, I had first the, of all, the 1990s were not a way long time ago. Fuck you very much. <laughs> I'm not that old. I no. should clarify. Uh, I should clarify. I did mean culturally, not like time. Yes, There's the correct. crow flies time because um, the, obviously there is a um, something that happens in this season that when I read that thing does also happen in the first book, right? The Duke and I, is that what it's called? Yeah, Julia yeah. Quinn's The Duke and I. I had read that book and only that book before the season came out, or the series came out. I read it. And at that part, I was like, wait, yeah. what? And then I was like, how the hell did she get away with this? Like, and that's when I turned to the copyright page and I looked at the date that it was written because I was so shocked that this was still like a romance book that people were like invested in reading when it's such a, it's a clear violation of consent is what happens. Right. Well, let's, let's go through, let's clarify first our spoiler policy in this discussion. So anything in the Bridgerton TV show, fair game for our discussion. So if you, for some reason, haven't managed to make it through the first season and you don't want to be spoiled, this may not be the episode for you. And Priya has promised not to drop any bombs about future books. Um, and she might mention things that are kind of like, oh, the show for is setting up something with this character, but she's promised not to give us any future spoilers. Spoiler free zone, because right. I don't want to ruin it for myself either. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know what happens, but as well, we'll talk about with the show, they, they set up things yeah. and change things. And so I don't know, even know what's going to happen in the show. Right. So also because we're not concerned with spoilers of things that have aired, I think we can just say explicitly what you're referencing, Kristen. Yes. Which is the Daphne character does not allow her husband to. Okay. First of all, I never thought that pulling out would like be a major plot point <laughs> in a romance novel. <laughs> I'm just like a Regency show, but yes, like he told her he couldn't have kids. Every time they have sex, he pulls out before he ejaculates and she does not allow him to, I think in the book, doesn't she get him drunk? She well, kind of does that. Yeah. Here. So, so I think I just read that section in the book and I've already lost some of the details, but I think in the book, they have the conversation about his father mm -hmm. and why he doesn't want kids after she realizes what he's doing is stopping her from getting pregnant. And then, and she then does he, it. I think, is already wasted. Uh -huh. And then she does it. That's and I even think worse. That's the problem, really problematic part about the book. Whereas in the show, she's just mad. Because and he lied so, to her. He lied to her, but she doesn't understand his father until the last episode. And she just makes this decision that you can tell she regrets later. But I that's the one thing I do wish they did is they they purposely changed it to make it work better in the show and make it less of like 
an assault, even yeah. though it's still assault um, in the show. But they don't show her remorse in a very overt way. And he doesn't get angry at her in the way he does in the book yeah. and leave her for weeks. Wow. He still follows her to London. They still go to London together yeah. in the show. And so there's some distinctions that they made that I still wish they could have gone a step further in talking about the idea of consent. And they tried to address that from the fact that she was ignorant about sex. She yeah, let's get into that. I thought it, and I don't want to say it worked well. This sexual assault worked well. <laughs> Both of the characters had motivations and had kept information from each other. And Daphne, like, this bitch didn't even know what sex was. Like, I don't, didn't yes, even like, talk about this, Kristen, about like how realistic that is for the time period. Let's but, get into this. Yes, let's okay. dig into the Duke and Daphne, right? So that's what one thing that like definitely you pinged on and that we were talking about afterwards. So as the relationship is set up, it's a, if you haven't seen, seen the show, what are you doing with your life, right? I'm going to assume everybody <laughs> basically has an idea, but you know, they set up this fake courtship. And then such an amazing thing because they're able to do this Regency stuff, but they're also doing Shonda Rhimes style show. Sex is there and it's there much more explicitly than it's. This is not this historically accurate and historical accuracy is so far out the side window. Like right. we don't even need to talk about it anymore. So, but we're still in a pretend world where I don't know. I've been back and forth with myself. Is it plausible that they would not know about ejaculate, about semen, you know, like about how babies are made. And I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't know, man. They are very, very sheltered girls. But as Benedict says to Eloise, or, you know, one of them says to Eloise, have you ever been on a farm? Yeah, did because you see the dogs <laughs> in the yard? Because sex was all around them in, yeah. you know, in the Regency England world, right? So. They're not like they were all sharing a room so everybody knew what mom and dad were up to to make nine kids. But yeah. I can't believe. But servants, that. you know, the ki- kids were around so many different people from so many With different three classes. older brothers. Yes, and they and kids, are, kids hear things, right? They are smart. They ask and they listen and... But the information choke points, like we forget even before the internet, how hard it was to see a picture of a naked person. It was right. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I will say that as someone who's pretty sheltered, like I'm South Asian and my parents didn't really talk about sex or anything like that. And I, I don't know where I got my information except for sex ed. Probably fourth grade, fourth grade class. And I know my mom talked to me about periods and shit like that, but like, I don't, for me, it was a little plausible because there's a level of ignorance if you're naive and not really understanding how you're feeling to not actually know what's going on. I will say in the book, Daphne does say at one point, I have three brothers. I know what's going on. But there's a difference between knowing and understanding. Like, I know that there's parts that go together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Not mm -hmm. knowing the actual physical, like the the biological. Yeah, what happens. And I, I wish I'd look this up as a historian, but like how much about like, processes did women know at that time yeah, like, like the egg leaves the and I'm sure yeah. yeah yeah and I'm sure this was discussed how much did the medical field know at that time yeah, about the cycle and all that stuff and so maybe after this I'll see if I can find some sources and you guys can- <laughs> we can share hey guys if you're wondering about regency medical the knowledge the unfortunate side effect of us like whether we think it's believable or not we have to accept in the story that Daphne does not know what sex is right, right. and the unfortunate side effect of that is that her mother looks like a really 
terrible parent. <laughs> at some point, every kid asked their parents, where do babies come from? Yeah. And so what did she tell her? Probably some bullshit. And then even the night before her wedding, this girl is, how old is she when they get married? 18, 19, 19 whatever. Like she explicitly said what happens and her mom punts. And it's just like, <laughs> she's like, can't talk about it. And it's weird because it's clear that Violet loves having sex. She's like, yeah, it's so great. It's so natural. It's so wonderful, but she can't talk about, which seems natural too. I mean, you're right. The health class really is rare. Now that you say that, where that more specific information comes from after thinking about it, I think I can buy it, but I, what made me wince is that then she's having a conversation with her housekeeper in this very Rebecca like scenario where she's the new duchess She's at Cliveden. There's this housekeeper who kind of doesn't like her because she's new and they're having tea. And she's like talking about strong, healthy seed. seed yeah. And Daphne's just there like, tell me more. Like it was just the worst situation to put your daughter in. And and so I, I, I bought it. I actually bought it more the second time around than what was ha- happening. And so, yes, yeah, so that's going on with Daphne and the Duke. And he says to her in this scene, which made me scream out loud, shrieks of joy and laughter and horror, right? When they're still courting, she's asking him something like what happened? She's like trying to get at what happens between a man and a woman when they're in love or whatever. And he's like, oh, you know, when you touch yourself, you know, what at night when you're alone, when you touch yourself. And I was like shrieking. I was like, this is the most awkward conversation I could possibly imagine. The guy you're fake dating talking yeah. about how masturbation is. But that's what romance, let me just like aside about romance novels. That's what they're so good at is creating these situations which are just plausible enough mm-hmm. that like sex is coming into it in a weird wacky way. So like we're engaging with sex in a different scenario than we normally would of like let's go out see a movie eat some popcorn and you know like have a date and have sex with you with each other and we're trying to come at it from all these different ways how can we make sex new again how can we have questions about sex again yeah. and that's what i think is so like excited like refreshing about romance novels and i was very uninitiated with the romance novel when i read i'm sorry to bring it up 50 shades of gray but when <laughs> when uh, <laughs> e. L. when E.L. James ha- sets this up right and she has Anna Steele there and then, Aunt, you know, Anna Steele's getting drawn into Christian Grey's orbit. And then she has this line like, oh, I'm a virgin. I like howled. And I was like, she's a genius to Kevin. Like, <laughs> it's like this is the most ridiculous scenario, <laughs> the most ridiculous ingredients of of a of a new sex question and i am so here for it like what is going to happen and i was i didn't read no romance or erotica <laughs> up until that point so don't yeah. laugh at me too hard but no i mean it's okay i i'm definitely like i said i i read them started reading them a couple of years ago but i really got into them in the last year or so and i mean they're fantasy like everyone yeah. who's like, and this might be a whole other conversation, but everyone who's like, this is not Jane Austen. I'm like, yeah, it's not Jane Austen. <laughs> I don't want to read a Jane Austen book right like, now. Is, I want to read a fan, a romance. This is, <laughs> romance novels are made to be female centered. And also they're, they're well, actually males read them too. Yeah. So not to bucket, put things in buckets, but well, we'll say female protagonists. Usually. usually. Yeah. And they're not, they're, they're meant to 
make you feel good and like talk about yeah, love they are. and sex in yeah. a lot of ways <laughs> that you won't get anywhere else. And so many of my friends said the first time they learned about sex was through a romance novel mm. because they couldn't get that information anywhere else. Yeah, it's not accurate all the time or most of the time, but it is it is a genre that has a purpose. And when you walk, turn on the TV to watch Bridgerton, that's exactly what you're getting is yeah. fantasy. Well, talking about it having a purpose, I mean, look, if you want to watch most pornography, porno- almost all pornography is male, made for the male gaze. Women are objectified. That is fantasy sex too, but usually women are not, do not, um, come out on the good end of it. Like they are objectified. They don't have any power. And so usually, usually, because some romance novels are messed up, you turn that on its head when you have the female gaze and a female audience. I started, I read my first romance novel when I was 15. I got it from the library. My brother saw me reading it and told my mom and she took it away. Oh my God. I know. What the fuck? Um, I had not read the Bridgerton novels before I watched the show. And I remember thinking, I thought this was a romance. Like, when do they have sex? And then it got to, what, episode four? And I was like, oh, okay, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing, too, that is so interesting. I think, like, what lays women open to, like, being... I don't know, laughed at or teased about Bridgerton because I watched it with Kevin. It was really awkward. And he made a shit ton of fun of me is because oh, I'm well, looking at Bay loved it. <laughs> That's so amazing. I love Bay. He's so and great. I watched it, some of it with my mom. <laughs> nice. I, we started it with my mother and then I watched ahead and I was like, nope, nope. <laughs> looking at it from just me on the couch, watching these people have sex. It's like, it's softcore pornography, right? Oh, and yeah. he's kind of like, I know what you're doing here, respectably watching, binging a Netflix series. You're watching porn. You're watching your version of porn. And I'm like, it's a very different way that we engage with sex and what we like about sex because there are a lot of, not all men, not everybody, right? But some people can watch a five minute video of just the sex act. And that is interesting and, you know, gets them aroused, Sorry, that's such a gross word to use. It gets them engaged. Let me just say that. Um, But for me, I can't, that means nothing to me. It's like, it's like um, an action movie that starts with the fighting, but you don't know who anyone is. So you don't care. You're not a nature video. I I have to know. It's like, sure, they're having sex, but how are they feeling inside? How are they feeling? What are they thinking? (laughs) And that's the sexy part. And I don't know why, but it is. And so like, that's, what story has to give you an engine to care about two people coming together. And that's just a very human interest, right? hundred percent. The best romance novels that I love are the ones that have a really strong character development, a really strong mm-hmm. storyline. We actually care about the people where stuff is happening to them. The reason I like the Bridgerton series is because it's a family. You have eight people that you get to follow their lives throughout time. And I don't know, it just makes me a lot more engaged. And those are the romance novels I tend to go back and forth to are the ones that are about like, a group of people who are friends or family and and their lives are intertwined and how they all connect. Like my favorite authors are the ones who do that. So so what Priya is saying is that Bridgerton is the fast and furious of the romance genre because it's all <laughs> it's just about family, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I will say that is a trope across the genre. There are a yes. lot of different series that do this like intergener- family, like intergener- more generations. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I was going to say, because we've talked a lot about sex the other and women's education, the other thing that I thought was really interesting that the show did was talk about, like, uh, like you saw Daphne getting her period. Yeah. Which yeah. Was, you know, I've never seen that happen on a show in that way before. And I thought... We've all had that look, by the way, where she's at the opera and she just gets that, oh, shit, look. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> runs out. I'm like, that yeah. is real. <laughs> yeah. And I... I think I really appreciated that about the show where they're like, if we're going to spend all this time talking about men's bodies and how babies are made, we also have to talk about what happens to women. And I thought, obviously they can't go into it that much in an eight episode show where that has to do a lot of things, but I did appreciate the time they gave to that. Priya, I completely agree that it's so important to get invested in the family and you really, really do. I think Julia Quinn has created so many distinct personalities in the family that makes it realistic and gets you invested. Do you want to talk a little bit about the family and the casting and the performances and just give your thoughts about that? Yeah. So I did just re-skim the book to sort of remember how they were portrayed in the book versus how they were portrayed in the show. And I think the there's a little bit more of like an edge in the show because they have to create drama in a different way than you do because it's different media Mm -hmm. but the thing that I really love they did with the casting was they got people who who were really good at making them like each other so the scenes in the family house where they're all like bantering all like the dinner the dinner table the dinner table one is great I love the hyacinth that Gregory are there and then there's a scene they took out of the book that I was a little sad about where they're on a boat they're going on a boat and uh, Gregory, I think, pushes, accidentally pushes Simon into the water. And it that sort of like energy of like, they're a family that loves each other, but they goof off with each other is, I, I really like how they carry that forward into the show. Um, and so the casting was great. All the boys are beautiful. All the girls are lovely, but come on, Eloise is perfection. Eloise is so amazing. I love her. It's so great. The woman, Nicola, Nicola Coughlin, I think is how you say her name, who they pick for Penn is amazing. Oh my like God. The two of them together. Yes. When they did the previews for this show and they let you see like some scenes early, they talked about the hashtag Penn Louise. <laughs> and I was like, good for you for making that hashtag because they're my favorite two in the entire series. I love them so much in the series. So that was really great. And that makes me want to give a shout out to the costume designer. There's been some flack from people who are into historical clothing and fashion about how it's not historically accurate. But like we were saying, this is a fantasy world. And I thought the costumes in this were so great at distinguishing characters how you can immediately tell, you can tell the families apart because there's a lot of characters, right? But you can tell who's in one family just based on what color they're wearing. And everything in the Bridgerton house is that pale blue, right? It's all this like calming, icy blue color. Um, And I love Eloise's dresses versus Daphne's dresses. You can tell all the sisters apart. I will admit, I find the brothers difficult to tell apart. (laughs) They're all tall, white, brown haired dudes. (laughs) Benedict and Anthony. It, it yes. took me a little while, but the, uh, you know, I've not watched. Colin has movie. like the crazy younger brother yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> his face shapes also a little bit different. But I will say, by like the fourth episode, I yeah, was okay. It was just the first one that I was just like, okay. I'm and I'm a little face blind for like blandly handsome white men. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest. No, this happens all the time in movies. Bay gets mad at me because I'll be like, now who is that again? Like, how do you, how can you not tell yeah. like Tom Hardy from, I don't know, that guy from Avatar. I'm like, everyone looks the same. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I know we've, we're talking a lot about the Bridgerton family, but I will say that the thing that I really loved about this adaptation was the color intentional casting. Yes. Um, was um, uh, 
Okay, we Ray Gaging Page. Let's get into brilliant. it. So brilliant, so fucking hot. Forget that he's hot. He's no, a really good. I, I mean, yes, he's hot, but <laughs> he's really, really. He pulls off. Yes, he's very good. Simon so well, like that brooding person. And in the book, his stutter and everything is a little bit more of a problem for him because you get what's in his head mm-hmm. every single time he tries to talk. But I think if you watch Ray Gaging Page's face, yeah, every single time he talks, you can kind of see that deliberate, like. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say before I say it, before I can actually This say is, it. to bring it back to Jane Austen, this is just like, um, now we're not huge fans of the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, but I mentioned that I, I like it. Matthew McFadden's performance because you can see Darcy thinking and then being like, oh God, I have to say something. Like, what am I going to say? Yeah, yeah. And it's exactly. that same kind of, you could see the wheels turning behind the eyes that it's a thoughtful performance. Yeah. Um, talking about the character of Simon, I thought Bay pretty much nailed it where he said, with his whole thing like I don't want to have kids the line needs to die with me and I was saying this is dumb and Bay said listen this is one of the most accurate portrayals of a male mindset I would rather blow up my own life just to fuck at someone who's dead than be happy you can argue with that but since we are talking about oh go ahead Priya oh no no I was just gonna say that like with that mindset and then also how they linked it into the fam- fact that in the show, the Hastings line was given to them as black people, black British right. black people, and that they have to honor it and they have to be perfect. That and choice up to the stakes so much. That, that in, especially in the era we live in now, we hear a lot of that is mm-hmm. that if you're a person of color, you're expected to be exceptional, standard, exceptional, and you are not allowed to have flaws. And that conversation about perfection is, is a little bit more overt in the book. But it still carries through on the show, like his obsession with like, I'm I'm just going to stick it to my father because he was so obsessed with perfect. I don't want it. Like, yeah. I don't want it. So I have to say this. I, I completely agree that that element of race was used so well to up the stakes so high. A lot of times in, in books, like a villain is just like just a bad person, like so villainous. And it's like, why are you such an asshole? And that gave Hastings, the first Hastings, uh, the Duke's father, a real, a reason for being a true, true asshole to his child. He was under tremendous pressure. He felt we like were just given, we yes, just elevated to the status, we and can- we have to maintain it. Now I have a child who, but let me tell you where the show really let me down, and probably let anybody with who has a speech fluency disorder, who knows someone with a speech fluency disorder, down. I feel like I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this online, but like, yo, like when you know someone who actually has a stutter, like if you know them and you interact with them and you see what they go through, it's not just like, as it was portrayed, like that was an adorable little kid who's like, well, 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 it's like, no, it's like, that is not what stuttering is like. Give you, I had a friend in college who had a stutter and you can see all the muscles working. You can hear clicking, you can see a physical struggle and it is so painful And I was just really let down because one of the things I loved about the book is that you very much did under, you did see inside Simon's head and you did know that it was an ongoing thing, that he was always afraid that he had to change words, right? Just like someone was saying, like Joe Biden has to do, like when you see him talk, he makes a different word selection sometimes because he's about to stutter. It was, it definitely was a letdown in that, like, oh, you just have a a cute little kid who doesn't say anything versus you have someone who's physically fighting 
And that that aspect wasn't really emphasized. And so I thought it was a missed opportunity. And I know if I was a stutterer, I would be pretty disappointed. Where he just kind of got over it. Yeah. And and even, you know, even in the the scene we were talking about with the with Daphne's violation, he kind of says deaf, deaf a couple of times. And you're supposed to say, oh, he's stuttering. I, I like missed that on the first view because yeah, it had been yeah. so de-emphasized in his adult life. But in other ways, they did bring the struggle back. Certainly when Daphne reads the letters that he written as a child and you can like feel his pain that way. And I loved Lady Danbury, which also redeemed that storyline when she comes in and she says, you can speak. And she's just, it's such a so powerful performance that redeemed it for me too. But I just wanted to add that little thing. It's like a little bit of missed opportunity there. And you know, that's actually really interesting because we were just talking about how I thought when we watched Regan Page do that, that I could see in his head as he did that, but that physical part of it, that physical pain about talking that you're discussing wasn't quite there. I thought I saw the mental, but not the physical. And you make a good point about the mental. I never thought about it, but he is. And if you saw it like that, you can see the wheels turning. Then that makes, that makes it better too, for me. And he is a good actor. I mean, he's just he's just fantastic. He blew me away with his performance. Yeah, I mean, I can see why the internet exploded when they didn't realize he was coming back. <laughs> oh this is kind of why I took the this job. So um, I have a question for you too. So this is definitely in the romance genre. I know the score. I know what makes for a happy ending. Um, but I was also a little disappointed, I guess, that Simon's story ends with him getting married and having children when that was not something that he wanted, whether we agree with his reasons or not as an outsider with this character, he had decided he did not want children and he married Daphne anyway, because of reasons. And she definitely wanted children. But as someone who firmly believes that you do not have to get married to be happy, you do not have to have children to be happy. I was just a little kind of like, Oh, well, we had a depiction of a character who, you know, didn't want to have kids. And that was what he decided. And that was how his life was going to go. And then it just ended with him having like, you know, the family and the, and the wife and the kids and it was happy. Yeah. And I will say in the book, I think they do a better job of walking him through that decision transformation, which you don't get quite the screen time for it. They frame it as sort of like by preventing yourself from living a full life to basically fuck you to your father. Yeah. Um, you are harming yourself. Yeah. And that's sort of how the show approached him changing his mind and showing him like the joy he got from being yeah. around Gregory. And, and he had never had a family. family so, so when he did see, yeah. And so, but yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think that is, that is the challenge. What I do appreciate the way I approach it is that so often we want our heroes and our heroines to be, firm and resolute and determined and know exactly what they want. But life isn't like that. Sometimes you change your mind. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, sometimes you really know what you want. And if your reasons are like, I don't want to have kids. Yeah. Then they are, I don't want to have kids. But his reasoning was always not a decision for himself. It was a decision because of how somebody else. All right. You convinced me. I I, I still, but you're, no, you're right. No less valid. Well, and it's not even like I hated it. I just felt a little twinge of like, Oh, it would have been nice. I will say this though. I, have not read ahead with books. I will be disappointed if Eloise ends up goes, Oh, I'm getting married. I'm like having kids. Oh. Well, we can't talk about <laughs> I know, but like <laughs> that is someone is, that is different perspective than Simon had. Yeah, I think she up. wants to like do something else. 
And I appreciate that. So I'm hoping that we'll see that. Yeah. And we'll see what they change. Um, I will say there is some foreshadowing in the show for Eloise. Um, You guys won't know it, but if you've read the books, you know what the foreshadowing, which is what's very fascinating about choices they made for characters they brought on Mm. and implications for other characters. And so I am really interested to see how that plays out. I'm not even going to name the characters because I think that would be like, that would be tough. But I just did want to say one more thing um, about the color intentional casting. And I think if you're interested in knowing more about it, I would look up some of the conversations about colorism with the show. And it came up a lot with In the Heights too recently about, you know, you can be color intentional, but still have biases. And I think it's always good to educate yourself and know a little bit more about that, that even a show that I thought was as good with this as Bridgerton still had some things to think about. Just worth looking up. There's some really great podcasts out there and stuff that talk about it. Yeah, for for sure. And and even and I Maggie, Maggie, I think you mentioned the previous previous podcast, but in a fake fantasy Britain, it was very cogently and well done with what happened with Queen Charlotte and you know her being black and then other people, as the story says, being given the titles of nobility. But India, there's also this relationship with India that is historical that could be treated exactly the same way. And I don't remember seeing more than one or two like East Asian people in the entire cast. And so hopefully we'll see more. Yeah. Some of the big ball scenes and things like that. Yeah. Uh, And sorry, sorry, Kristen, South Asian, East Asian. Oh, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, South Asian. I don't think this is a spoiler, but they cast South Asian women for the leads for season two. Ooh. Ooh. I love Kate so much. I love the heroine for season two so much. And so the fact that she is brown. Is- oh, I'm so excited. I didn't know that. I hadn't seen this Sharma. casting. Okay. Um, which they t- I think it's Sheffield in the book. But her so, name is Kate Sharma in the book. So this will have something to do with Anthony, right? Because he kind of yes. takes the Anthony lead is the lead in the next okay. one. Okay. And that, that's actually really cool because the stuff with Anthony that happened in the first one we don't get in the book because the book is very Daphne Simon centric. Right. And Antony's there as like her father figure who like has to manage the suitors and all that stuff. But they set his perception of love up in a way that we don't get. Right. And we just walk into book two and that's just how we live. This things. is what you, I feel like this is one of the things you have to do in a TV show adaptation. And you'll see it happen in other things like Game of Thrones where you're drawing from kind of a rich series where in the season, they have to fill that airtime. And so you start drawing those threads from later things and planting those seeds and maybe getting things started subplot wise earlier than you would in the novels. Because in a show, you have to have your A plot, B plot, C plot kind of per episode, right? So what do you, you can't just watch Simon and Daphne every single scene. Like that's super boring. So I really appreciate that. And I actually appreciated the time they spent on characters, you know, speaking of Queen Charlotte, when you first see her, you think, oh, well, she's just like kind of a bitch. Like she's a queen. She's spoiled. She's rich. And then you get scenes with her and the king. And I love They had with the loss of their daughter. And there's just a lot. They just add dimensions to even like tertiary characters. That yeah. I really yeah. And I think, Krista, I like that you brought up um, colonialism because that is. I'm wondering how much of that they're going to bring into season mm-hmm, two, because mm-hmm. it is a little bit absent in here. Because, you know, Queen Charlotte's a tricky figure in that. Some historians say she did have black heritage. Some historians say she doesn't. And then there are people who have appropriated her as a figure in the monarchy who who is black. When at the same time, she is still part of a system that had enslaved people that colonized countries all along the world. And she's one of the head people in that system. And so it 
in real life, it's a little bit trickier, but it's, that's the thing that TV does it. It gives you people, it gives you an interest and then you can read into yeah. it and like stuff like that, even though this is fantasy. So based on season one's directly addressing people of color's status, I would be shocked if we have cast Indian actors for season two with large roles, if it is not addressed. And honestly, Shonda Rhimes is one of those showrunners where I've learned that there's a certain level of trust I have when I hear her name attached to it. If it was someone like Ryan Murphy, I'd be like, well, who who the fuck knows? It could be anything. But with Shonda Rhimes, it's like, she knows what she's doing. She has a clear statement that she makes with her shows. Yeah. So and this I, makes me more excited for season two. Yeah. And I want to see who they bring on as writers. Cause that's always, mm-hmm. it's always part of the conversation is that like, right. if your leads are South Asian, you who's probably, behind the scenes. Yeah. Who's behind the scenes. You should have a South Asian or two behind the scenes. Just like we talk about like the handmaid's tale and the number of women writing and directing and right. like how you can sometimes tell when it's a, a male director versus a not. Well, this is a tangent, but this is the big problem people have with that new Netflix movie, what is it called? Like Gunpowder Milkshake or something like that? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. This is a new movie on Netflix where it's almost all, it's an action movie and it's all female people. It's like the female John Wick is what people are saying. But the writers, the directors, the producers, everyone's a man. And so every review I've read is like, well, this movie's pretty shitty because like it's clear that nobody actually cares about having a movie with women in it. They just wrote a movie and they put women in it. And like, there you go. Yeah. yeah. But I don't, I don't feel like that's what's happening here. This is very, like you were saying, color intentional casting. I really love that. But I haven't heard that phrase and I love it. It's perfect. I thought, uh, you're right with, with saying like trust, like I, the Queen Charlotte thing with King George, you know, King George has, is, you know, has, is mad, like mad, I that, right? I love that. To actress. use the historic. Is that James Fleet? playing King George, uh, but he was in the Vicar of Dibley. He's yeah. Yeah. It's James Fleet. Yeah. Oh, um, he, he's, he's great. Well, I was excited to see him. It, it's a beautiful grace note in the show that you just think Queen's Queen Charlotte is a bitch. And then she gets this dimension where she's happy to see George lucid. And they have this conversation that shows that we're great friends. And then he goes back behind the veil. Right. And it's just the emphasis of the show is the warmth of friendships and the warmth of family that draws you in. You're not just watching you know, yeah. the Duke and Daphne watching everybody. And I also wanted to make sure before we get too far to talk about the Featheringtons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Polly Walker. Polly Walker. She's I know. She's incredible. <laughs> Fairfax. Oh, I was so, that was actually when I first saw the pictures and from the cast and stuff like that, when I saw Polly Walker was in it. Because if you've seen HBO's Rome, she's, I think she's so incredible in that. So I was good. so excited. I, I was, totally forgot she was in Roman. I oh my God. She's my favorite character. She is Bay's least favorite character, but she's my favorite character. <laughs> I don't know if that says anything about us. Is she but, Brutus's uh, wife? No, she's... she is Caesar's niece. And she is always kind of like angling to get her kid. So she, her, she is the mother of who becomes Caesar Augustus. Oh, right. Octavian. Yes. yes and yes. she's always like trying to get the family angling to get them power and stuff. But her plans are very small, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like she's not operating on the same le- level of political like acumen that people around her. So she's worried about like who is so-and-so going to marry. And Caesar's like, I'm worried about what country I'm going to next yeah, take over. Anyway, I think she's fantastic. And that role is perfect for her because it's 
not the same, but there's a lot of kind of similar, that's how you get power Mm -hmm. in the world that they occupy. And so that is her primary concern. And then of course, when she finds out the truth about her husband, how he's gambled their money, it's just, it's incredible to see her be faced with real obstacle, right? Not just yeah. like, oh, well, who am I getting my daughters to marry? Like our family could fall apart. Yeah. And again, that's actually the interesting thing about that storyline is her husband's dead in the book. Yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. Earlier he's dead. Like in the beginning, he's been dead for three years in the book when it starts. And so there's, there's also conversation about like, there's no way she wouldn't know who, who, who his heir is. Oh, but what a fun cliffhanger. Like at the end, you're like, there's <laughs> no way she would be like, I don't know who's going to support us at like come on yeah. really but i guess you're right it's for dramatic effect it's great but okay um, i'm gonna ask priya for a hint of something so if you don't want to okay. like hit the 15 second fast forward button have we met the character that is inheriting the money i don't even think we know who it is in in the duke and I. oh in shonda's world so like you're saying Shonda's world yeah but you know from the other books right I don't, Do you remember? No, I don't actually. Okay, remember. that's fine. So okay, I, never I mind. No spoilers. We're just so, yeah. So I think this is really like an opening for them to bring someone else in. That's what I was thinking. It's either a great hook for a new character, or it's a huge twist. Yeah, yeah. A relationship we don't know about yeah, yeah. between other characters. Um, but I mean, to bring it back to the Featheringtons and friendship, I think I think they layer that in in a lot of ways within the Featherington household because obviously the two older sisters have this sort of like gab connection that Penn is sort of separate. Well, they have a mean girl. girl. Mm, Yeah. That Penn is sort of separate from, but then there's also Penn and Marina that shifts and changes throughout the the episode. And I'm going to do a slight tangent and then we'll come back is um, in the book, Daphne is out already for a full year and everyone she meets thinks of her as a friend and not a romantic interest. And she finds that to be the struggle and the reason she's, she's not friend She's friend zone with really. everyone. And then it's just kind of sweet about how Simon and her end up becoming friends and then realize they love each other. Yeah. And so, and which they carry through in the show itself with Queen Charlotte, where Queen Charlotte says, yes, the best relationships are the ones that start out as friendships. Right. And then but in the show, it's more like Anthony drives away, like everyone. actual yeah. Well, yeah, and Anthony... Yeah in the book is a little bit more like he listens to his sister where he's like, yeah, he lets her make the decision, but I'm the one who has to tell. Them. Well, we have to make that drama. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, back to the feathering heads. I, I really appreciate the, the evolution of Penn and Marina's relationship throughout the show. It was fascinatingly done. I mean, there were so many, you know, they come together and there's a real, you can tell Penn is a real friend and a real support. And then as soon as her interests, right. And her love of Colin, they're at cross purposes. It's so fascinating to see her try to stay to an ideal of a, what a good person would do and how a good person would treat their friend and yet save the man she loves from being manipulated. And I think she's in a really untenable position, but I know that everybody feels differently about that particular and situation. She outs Marina as pregnant obviously in the whistle down paper that is I'm trying to remember I think that's the only time she actually and maybe she would disagree with this characterization but maybe I think that's the only time she weaponizes lady whistle down she definitely uses it to shit on her own family because they're so mean to her um but I, I think it's the only time she really just uses and she would say I'm trying to protect Colin right yeah I don't want him, but she really does weaponize the power she has with it. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like she has a philosophy as Lady Wilson that there's a line I want to cross. One, because it will out me. Yeah. And this is a line that she crossed because that's her conversation with Eloise is after the happens. Eloise is like, who else knew about yeah. this? It narrows the world of who 
who Lady Whistledown is. And at that point, we don't know that Penn is Lady I was still shocked by the reveal. Yeah, (laughs) we don't find out about that until the middle of the series. And so the fact that they revealed it so early, I think is going to add a very, very interesting layer to this thing. But Uh, yeah, I was shocked. But yeah, I, I don't know how I feel like, I see why she put it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was she also- tried talking to him and yeah. Marina kept yeah. stopping her. So I don't know. I don't know. The, the, Bridgerton raises a lot of interesting ethical questions. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hard because I wanted to be on Penn's side. I did. And I, I went, I watched it again. I went back through. It's like, okay, now she tells Colin mm-hmm. what's up person to person. Like Marina's heart has gone to another, which isn't the ultimate betrayal, but my, but it's fair to call in, you know, so that he knows that and that doesn't dissuade him. And then she has the final confrontation with Marina where she's like, you cannot do this. And Marina is like, oh, you're in love with Colin and I'm still going to do it anyway. Yeah. And even with all of her good faith trying, uh, it wasn't enough. And when Marina said that to her, like, I think I know more of the world than you. I'm going to do what I need to do. I was, de- I definitely felt that betray, you know, that um, anger at Marina, but I still, you still know when, when you look back that Penn has ultimately outed Marina as pregnant for her own selfish reasons. Yeah. She tried to do it in the right honorable way. She couldn't get it. Anyone to listen. She didn't, couldn't get anyone to care, but, and it's devastating when she lobs that bomb. And of course, when you watch at the time, you don't know she's Lady Whistledown, so you're not mad at her. And then in the very last episode, when it's revealed that she's Lady Whistledown, you're like, wait, like, I have to it? just try, <laughs> I have to change how I feel about all of this stuff that happened. How do I feel about Penn? You kind of get the sense that she might have tipped off Lady Whistledown, though, so that I was already kind of percolating, like, well, what if she was the person who did this? How do I feel about this? And I don't think there's any easy answer because I do think that Colin you know, has a right, has a say and a right in this, but no more than any other normal person. He doesn't need help from on high. He doesn't need, you know, like people tipping his fiance's hand. I don't know. I don't know. What's interesting is that all three of them, I see the motivations and I feel sympathy for all three of them. Like Marina, she tells her like, what other option do I have? Yeah. I'm sorry you love Colin, but there is literally no other option I have that doesn't end up with me, you know, penniless, in the gutter yeah being ostracized from and, society and i will say this whole storyline was fascinating because it's not in the book at all oh really yeah yeah Marina is a character who exists in this world <laughs> and but, that's all i can say <laughs> but that is all i can say like you just don't learn about her in quite the same way we did in the show this season interesting it's again foreshadowing right and i am going to be really interested to see if the same things happen to her that we know happened to her from later books yeah, I can't say anymore. It's just it's just going to be really interesting if they follow through on that storyline because there's ramifications elsewhere. And um, yeah, but I there's also another element of the story that I thought was really interesting was um, Daphne's own reflection because there's conversations about women's roles, women's power, mm-hmm. communication, people keeping people in the dark and like you not having any options to make choices for yourself. So then you choose the best option you can at the time. And so like Daphne making a judgment about Marina when she comes home to help with the Colin situation after everything blows up and she watches Marina's face when Colin and her have that confrontation. 
And she's like, oh, she's kind of in the same situation I was where like I trusted someone and then that trust was lost. Right. And then she's like, so how can I, as a duchess, as a woman with power now, how can I make this better? And I really appreciated that that's how they brought Daphne really settling into her role as a, a duchess, um, how they made that work out. Um, but also that there was that moment where, where Marina's like, oh, you wrote to the general, but you didn't put your husband's name on it. So yeah. it's even just that like lack of faith in our in female power in yeah. the show and how magic it, it didn't matter because the guy answered and they found out that he was dead. And that yeah, was sad. It was really sad. And so I, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm kind of rambling, but I know I, I was, remember when that happened, when the brother shows up and he's like, I will honor my brother's obligations, blah, blah, blah. And Marina's like, no. And walks away. I yelled at the TV. I was like, what are you doing? You stupid idiot. Even though she didn't think she was pregnant anymore. I say in quotations because talk about not knowing how bodies work. I don't know. I I could tell when I was pregnant, like it's messed up, you know, uh, <laughs> well, apparently some people don't, which I find crazy. How <laughs> are you from your body? Right. And then she walked out and I'm like, this is the solution. I was, still, everyone still knew she had devastated. Well, because for Ugh. so many episodes now, and this was the hardest plot for me because I was so anxious for her. I was, I was every passing day. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And and like, <laughs> I was way over invested. And honestly, it made the first watch of Bridgerton for me really unpleasant so because oh, that yeah. plot line got so stressful for me. And then when she walks away from that, I was just absolutely des- devastated. And of course, then she realizes she's still pregnant that her tea didn't work. And I didn't think that guy was ever coming back. So I was like, you can't put me through this again. Show like, I've already, but I, Sir Philip, he was adorable. He was very cute, and I'm glad that you know he came back. And and I loved that these Regency families are messed up. Love matches are not the norm. So she has this conversation with Lady Featherington, where she's like, "You find things to love." And even though Lady Featherington was a huge bitch to her and lied to her with that fake letter at the end, when she says, "You're strong," I felt that something. I I felt I felt that I was like, okay these women are doing what they have to do. And Lady Featherington's telling Marina she's strong. And it, But, you know, I wanted to quickly talk about power in the lower classes too, because we have two characters, Sienna, the opera singer, mm-hmm. and Madame Delacroix, who have power, but in ways outside of society, Tend right? Power for the opera singer, for sure. And with the Modiste, right, with Madame Delacroix, <laughs> right there. Where in France are you from? <laughs> and Marina gets the upper hand of her because she actually can speak French and knows a load of horseshit. <laughs> she has power to manipulate the social scene by who she withholds fashions from, and she has all the gossip, right? To the point where you think she might actually be Lady Whistledown. But it's just that there's just a limit to how far they can go. Sienna has the beauty and she has the love of rich men and she has the money, but there's just limits of how far they can go. And ultimately, the Sienna and Anthony storyline, where he loves a woman of not his social class, broke my heart. It was very repetitive because they each kept breaking it off for exactly the same reason, which is never going to change. But that last time where he's like, I'm going to take you to the ball, and then he shows up and she's cry- like, I, it's devastating. She's crying. She's got snot on her nose. She's like, I can't do this. And um, I was in tears. It's just, I waved my chocolate at the TV and said, good for you, girl. Like, <laughs> yeah, finally, <laughs> right. I was, it was just their options. Like 
everyone, every other woman's options in the show were just circumscribed. So even the rich women are circumscribed in different ways. So it's just, it's frustrating to watch. I guess that's why it was stressful to me and frustrating to me watch is that all the problems stemmed out of the same problem, which is a fantasy historical Regency world, which is, I don't know, you might as well say, why are there so many vampires in Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Like that's the point, right? That's the structure we're working in to create the drama. One of my favorite scenes, speaking about like power and the lower classes, when Eloise is doing her not particularly great investigation into- <laughs> and she goes and talks to the housekeeper. Yeah. Well, she's going through the house. Yeah. Oh yeah. And she's yeah. Like, what are you doing in my room? Like it's nothing private from you people. And then she tries to sass her and she says, are you maybe Lady Whistledown? And the woman laughs in her face. <laughs> what makes any of us have time? <laughs> we're too busy cleaning up your shit. Like literally you were a baby and I wiped your butt. Like yeah. get out of my room. <laughs> I loved that. Yes, I, loved the same thing. That. I hope that they will explore the Featheringtons. I guess she the housekeeper or she's Lady Featherington Featheringtons. Ladies maid. May ladies maid. There's something about her mm. that I wonder if we're going to explore some more because the money was gone. She's the one who told her her husband was dead. Like, oh, you're saying just... that she stole the money maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she stole it. I just think there's just something going on with that oh, woman. I had not even like, pinged on that. Yeah. Just like whoever played her did a really exceptional job of like making there seem like there's a lot under the surface. Interesting. But yeah, the, the lower class stuff, it was equally interesting in the sense that how they were weaponized to find out more about Nigel, who in the book, Nigel is not like he still tries to get at Daphne, but in a less over assaulting way. Yeah. And he's more of a bumbling idiot, but that's sort of par for the course sometimes. And then like malicious. And, yeah, malicious. Yeah. And she just, she's a lot more like accepting where Simon's like, what the hell? How are you so blase about this in the book? How they use the um, like the maids and the housekeeper to get information about or to Nigel, spread rumors, to Nigel and spread rumors and get it in their lady whistle down. Thought that was genius. Yeah, but also like you know they said the servants know everything. It's true. That by the way, big eye roll to that plot point with Nigel Burbrook saying. I will imply that I saw Daphne at the dark walk in Vauxhall Gardens and your entire family will be ruined forever. And it's like, oh, is that how, how that works? You think people, but I mean, that guy, people <laughs> know him. No one's going to believe him. I know. And the Duke was also there. He could say, I happened upon this asshole assaulting yeah. Daphne and I, I, I was there and nothing happened. You know, like, I, I don't know. It was the weirdest plot that, that didn't make any sense. But, you know, you just buy it and you're like, okay, whatever. I'm into the drama, right? I wanted to say, as far as supporting characters, like, just for people who don't know, like, the book obviously is just Simon and Daphne's story. All these other subplots are not happening. And so they're, they were created and woven into the story in interesting ways. And one of the things that I thought was weird was the friendship, not weird, notable, Eloise and Benedict. And their friendship and their both of their desire to get under into the underbelly of region society and not to stay on the glassy top, you know, the superficial top of the ton. Benedict, that story is so up in the air. It could go so many different ways. I'm hoping it'll go more gay. I guess because at right? first you bring in this gay relationship, which is all the books are M slash F, right? Male, female romances. 
right? And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that. I think probably everyone in the romance yeah. world knows that, that that's usually how stories go, right? If you're into one pairing, you're reading that author for that or that series, that kind of pairing. Uh, so I thought that they were going to give him yeah, male, male he, romance. He had a moment with that artist with the guy, guy. With the Sir like, Grenville guy. Yeah, the portrait painter. Boring. And then he just sleeps with Madame Delacroix. Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with that. And I hope that they do bring some, you know, additional, some diversity to the sexuality uh, that they're portraying here. Kristen has the much more uh, PC way of saying it. I'm like, yeah, make him gay. (laughs) Or at least bisexual, right? I actually was wondering if they're, um, because again, it's a a level of like ignorance and not understanding that things exist in a world where- you know, you've been sheltered. And so him learning that this is something that uh, they had to sort of like ease him into it. And he could still be, yeah, he could still be bisexual. <laughs> yeah. He could still be bisexual. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the thing is, I was kind of happy to see that because I did after watching the series, go back and read. Now I've read all of the first four books. And may I just say without spoilers that the third book, which is about Benedict, right? We've got Daphne, we've got Anthony, and then we've got Benedict. He is the most raging shit, like the most horrible, horrible. I wanted to reach through the pages and strangle this character. I hated his story so much. So, I mean, I'm just delighted that it's going to be anything different than what it was written by Julia Quinn because there are things that happen in that third book that are just extraordinarily fucked up. Just made me so angry with him. And so (laughs) I'm trying to tempted to read. (laughs) I will say the foreshadowing they did, which is what leads me to think that they might keep like the bones, but change it is um, that conversation with um, uh, the artist, the master painter about the bravery of living outside society. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you make that choice for yourself for happiness is a very clear point for Benedict's story. I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that okay. for Benedict's story later is that sometimes you have to make choices that you wouldn't expect yourself to make in order to be happy. Okay, and so, okay. um, so I'm hoping that they are leading us to the bones of the third book, but not the actual specific. Like you said, there has to be trust. <laughs> Yeah, I'm interested in checking that out. I hear a baby crying. It's getting Uh-oh. time. He is very cute. Priya got to meet Alex. Uh, I love baby. He woke up from his nap when she was here. He was sleeping on his tummy with his ass up in the air. And then I go, wake up, baby. It's time to get up. And he looks over and he just goes, ah. <laughs> <laughs> It was very cute. I have new children of my own, but I live vicariously through my nieces, my nephews, and other friends' babies. That's the way I to do it. So much. <laughs> <laughs> little ears, little ears. Um, but yeah. It's like you watch these shows, where, like, you know, the dinner table scenes, and they have all these like incredible interactions and stuff. And I think, oh, it would be so great actually to have more kids and like, have Alex have siblings and have that energy. And I would really love that. But then I remember sitting up at two in the morning with this baby screaming in my face. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, sorry. Just to bring up another baby related scene is that that store, the conversation between Eloise and Daphne about how you could die Yeah, about their mom. And it was like a mere months after their father died. And which is definitely a big thing with Anthony in season two. We will definitely see that because it's he's got problems. And so, <laughs> like, I just thought that scene was also really good about, mm-hmm. like, Eloise being like, don't you find it hard? Like, even you are lying to yourself and playing a part. We know what happened to mother. 
Aren't you, and also like, aren't you scared? Like you could die having children. That was a reality that happened all the time. I, I will like, I'm very excited that they've given it a multi-season renewal, um, which always is something I hate with shows when it's like fighting from season to season. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the difference between network TV and Netflix, right? I mean, it apparently shattered records for them on viewership yeah. um, and internationally too. It's not just like it was a hit here. They got really yeah. good numbers all over the yeah, world. And I really hope it opens the door for other adaptations. I have, um, so there are like authors I really love who start with characters of color in the book. So Courtney Milan, who's an incredible writer, but also an incredible human being. She's a lawyer. She's fought for women's rights within her own life. She's just like a, amazing person and she doesn't have extensive of a catalog as Julia Quinn Mm -hmm. but like her latest book um her protagonist was I believe Chinese in a town that was filled with mostly Chinese people and the Duke was also Chinese like it just and she made it fit within the Regency era and why it worked within that era and why it was possible which it might have been I actually haven't dug into it and so I'm hoping that there are doors open for other authors to get adapted adapted as well. Well, it's just like with the Jane Austen adaptations, right? Assuming if someone does one that's popular, then they redo adaptations of all the other novels. Yeah. So maybe getting, with like, the, a bunch of Mansfield Parks or something. Yeah, well, this is the thing. With the success of Bridgerton, maybe we're going to uh, see more, like you're saying, more of these other, not necessarily Regency, but maybe other historical romance. Yeah. And I mean, Outlander is also hugely successful. Yeah. That's definitely more kind of fantasy and sci-fi yeah. than historical. Which is weird. Um, it is a series that I should love, but I, I didn't like the first book. Never, right. Yeah, I had problems with the end. I think it was assault-related stuff. If you have a, if you are unable to watch shows that have depictions of sexual assault, Outlander is not the show for you. Like literally every main plot point, it kind of piggybacks on that. And I really hate that about it. I kind of still watch it, but I've had many conversations with people about how that's lazy writing. And I don't know. Speaking of other series though, you were just talking about one of the authors you really like. Are there any other series like Bridgerton that you would recommend to people who maybe liked the show or have read those books, but maybe haven't explored other in the genre? Yeah. So let's see. Grace Burroughs is an, she's an older author. Um, so, and she's got like, a, she's amazing. Like I think when she pitched her agent, I read somewhere that she pitched her agent that she had these books and they said, how many have you written? She's like, I've written 50 already. I've oh my God. <laughs> and so if you look at her back catalog, there are so many, but she like, I think the Westcott's are her family that she really does. I don't know. It's not Regency, but I really love Jasmine Guillory. Um, all of her stuff is really great. Alyssa Cole also writes amazing books that I wouldn't mind seeing adapted. She writes Reluctant Royals. Mm. So they're um, set in uh, modern day stuff but they're royals and they're really great um i'm trying to it's the thing you asked me this question and it's like all my regency knocks yeah goes out the window i have recently gone from like regency romance to regions um to romance oriented lady detectives that are set in like <gasps> oh 30 scotland that's so fun and so that's sort of like i've transitioned from like the straight up fluff to like there's a little mystery and like stuff in there and so the lady darby series is like i love not Regency, but World War II, but Maisie Dobbs. That cool. entire series is really good. I've heard of that one. Yeah, there's like 16 books. They're great. Regency-wise, I've read a lot of Grace Burroughs, but I also love Courtney Milan, who has a who I've mentioned before. So Courtney's probably my current favorite. Okay, well, I guess we have all of our 2021 and 2022 reading lists Check. taken care of. Thank you, Bria. <laughs> 
but why don't we start moving towards a wrap up? So maybe just like final Bridgerton thoughts. If someone was saying, should I watch Bridgerton? What would you say to them? I I would say if you want something that's going to warm your heart and your loins, and your loins. But because those marble stairs are hard and cold. Oh my god! <laughs> but also that you can choose how much you want to overthink it. Then this is a show to you. Like you can go in and just be like, I'm just gonna watch the fluff. But then you can also look at some of like the more nuanced things they tried to do, imperfect as they were for a show that is historical fantasy you will get something out of it. I thought it brought me so much joy in a winter of my discontent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I support everyone watching it. So. Yeah, I think I would do the same. That's a really good way. You know, can watch it however you want to watch it. Like I watched it the first time I watched it with my husband and he really got into it too. And he got mad if I would watch it further without him. And then the second time I was rewatching it in preparation for this podcast, taking care of Alex and my mom would be around and we'd watch it together. And that could be a little uncomfortable with the sex stuff, but we basically just made fun of them with the sex stuff. Um, but I enjoyed it maybe even more the second time because then I could start paying attention to kind of those nuances and things that maybe I had missed the first time. I would tell people to watch it. I don't think there's too much problematic stuff. There's the issue with the, the Daphne Simon scene is kind of the only caveat I would really give. And that is not anywhere near in the realm of, say, Outlander, which we just talked about, which yeah. is just loaded yeah. with rape and horrible things happening to all the characters. Yeah. This was, I don't know, I just think it's fun. What can I say? I just thought it was fun. It's got bright costumes. It's got crazy British people also, boning everywhere. Like, Julie what's up with Andrews. We didn't even Julie talk about Andrews. Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> Having a great time. (laughs) A great time. (laughs) She's loving it. She's the gossip girl. She's so great. So good. What would you say, Kristen? The first time I watched Bridgerton, as you know, Maggie, like I was in for like four episodes and then I was so out. I I was so stressed out with it. I was frustrated by it. I felt that the pace dragged when they went to Cliveden. I was unhappy just watching all the sex scenes because I wasn't emotionally engaged with the characters. And I was like, I guess I need to read sex on the page to get like to enjoy it somehow. I think but you with my that it was repetitive. Yeah, it felt repetitive because it was just because I didn't care, I guess. And the second time I watched it, all those problems went away. I think I was in control because I knew where the story was going. And so I could just sit back and not worry about these characters, not be like neurotic and just enjoy a show for once. And it was delightful. And the only thing that continues to piss me off is how Daphne and Simon will be having a conversation and then just go right to P and V with no foreplay. We can't be like, can't be like for a second, like P and V. Oh, (laughs) stop. Let me do the clappy hands. Stop portraying tentative sex without foreplay. It's giving everybody unrealistic expectations of their bodies. Back then, they kind of lube back then, right? Well, not when they're not when you're just having a conversation between Daphne and Simon, and then they're like, "Oh, what the hell? We love each other," and then they just start like pumping. Like, no, that's not how this works. Well, remember, she is like 20 years old. I don't care. It's (laughs) you know, like it's just we can't be portraying it. Let's stop portraying this. The one friend of mine who had a problem with the sex scene said that 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 part frustrated her because. For women, that's really important. And if this is a women-forward yeah. sex 
related show, the fact that they didn't do that. This does not bother me because again, it's part of the fantasy. And yeah, also, but like, no. how much time do we have? Like, I don't want to sit there for five minutes. I while- know, I know. You make, <laughs> you make a valid point. You make a very valid point. But I think a lot of women are frustrated with themselves that their bodies don't do that. It makes them feel like they're not sexy enough or that their ro- romances aren't romantic enough. And that's not the case. But it's the same show that tries to tell you that it's sexy to like have sex on your back on a marble temple in the freezing rain. Oh, yeah, on a ladder. Is, yeah, like <laughs> it's all a fantasy. I love that scene. Um, did you say you love that scene? No. Okay. Yeah. No, every I love. What, I love how you just described. But that. that's what it is. I'm like that bitch is cold, and that thing is that. I was like the, the least he so hard do, on her back, and and position was so important in the show because in order for him to pull out, like yeah, exactly. Top, but like. If you were a gentleman, you would have been on the bottom. <laughs> right, right. But they couldn't do that yet because, again, like you were saying, yeah. they have to save that for, yeah. like, the, ooh, the consent um, scene. I will say, um, and foreshadowing, the bees. If you have read the book, the bees, at the end, they were so subtle. But there was something that happened yeah, in the, the second bees. season. I cannot talk about it. But it is one of my favorite scenes from ridiculous julia quinn scenes okay in um book two that the bees just i was just like i, I thought they were making like a birds and the bees and like springtime renewal there's that i guess it there's has a... like a backstory and then a front story about it like okay. i just like stuff that's in flashbacks and stuff that Kristen okay. knows what i'm talking about and yeah. so kevin asked he did notice the bees and he's like is there some supposed to be some special significance and so i told him and he was like, I just assumed it was part of the My Girl Cinematic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> it was the shitty thing that happens to Benedict that he gets stung by a bee. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to conclude uh, by saying to everyone out there, every Bridgerton fan out there, if you have not seen a YouTube video by the creator Kieran Hodgson. Oh my God. Yeah. You sent this to me, didn't you? He does um, a comedy series called Bad TV Impressions and he has a lot of them. But the Bad TV Impression for Bridgerton season one is a triumph of comedy. And my husband and I quote the lines in it to each other all the time. Um, can share that. I'll share that link on. The yes, yes. I'm writing it down so I don't forget. <laughs> it. Also, share the TikTok Bridgerton musical stuff. I've mm. seen parts of that, and that is also brilliant. Uh. I have to write these down because I promise to share things all the time, and then I go into my podcast fugue where I don't remember what we talk about. That's a real thing, by the way. I don't know if you guys experience that, but I don't remember what happened when we record. (laughs) I know. Right. I will. I just, I love sharing the the bad TV impression whenever I can. And, um, you know, no spoilers, but like he does a number of impressions of various Bridgertons. And my favorite is Eloise. Like why must a woman impress with her big eyes? Why not with a big book she has written? (laughs) (laughs) So you will love it. Thank you to Priya for joining us. Thank you for having me. Of course. Priya, this is so amazing. I mean, I've talked more about sex in a public place in this podcast than I ever have. So, well, it's not really public. No one can see you. I know. Like, you know, I used to have this conversation with my friends, and like now everyone gets to hear me talk about it. Well, this is the great thing about the internet. Everyone's just a friend you haven't met yet. Exactly. But thank you for having me on here. I uh, I love talking to the two of you. Oh, Zabal, yeah. we love talking to you. I'm so I'm thrilled you came back on. Else, so you can have you back. <laughs> <laughs>
Kristen, do we need to go to the weed sheath today? Yes. Okay, we do, because there's one person I haven't even written back to yet, which I will pull up their message. We got a really sweet message from Stormhouse Publishing, EM. It's Stormhouse Publishing, um, an author from the Jaff space who listened to our podcast with Bianca and said, thank you for talking about uh, these issues of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion in the Jane Austen fandom. And she was saying it's it's hard to be on social media and to say the things that you really think and feel about social issues and still be a creator who is trying to sell their products. And I think we all are feeling that right now. So I just wanted to sympathize about the way the world is and the fact that DEI issues are even issues that are controversial in any way, which saddens me, you know, so I'm sorry you're going through that. Yum. And thank you for dropping us a note. Uh, Maggie, can you think of anyone else? Oh, I don't know. I can't even remember what I did. No. Uh, yeah. Things have been pretty light on the mail, which is fine. I think that everyone's kind of focused on trying to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fine for me too. I mean, personally, it's just been a lot. This summer has been a lot. So, you know, don't, it's totally fine. And yeah, this has been a lot for everyone. If we, if you did send us a note and we haven't mentioned it, or we neglected to get back to you, you know, you have our apologies. There's a, obviously there's a lot going on for everyone right now. <laughs> we so appreciate you reaching out. Like, I really can't tell you how nice it is when we get yeah, it's just to hear from people message. and yeah, cool. Yeah. And right, everyone enjoy Bridgerton looking forward to season two. I yeah. did hear they had to pause filming for one day because a crew member tested positive. For COVID. Um, so they took a break, but then they're back on. So everything okay. back and humming along. So hopefully, do we know anything about release date for that? I, I feel like they might make it a Christmas event. You think I this just, year? I, I, yeah. I honestly think that like, if they can get them done fast enough, like it's June, it, there's not a lot of special effects that I can tell. Maybe they're trying to do Christmas releases because it did so well. Yeah, at and yeah it did. At home, it's cold, it's dark. Yeah. Uh, my family will probably want to come over this year because of the baby and everyone's vaccinated, but I'll be like, get out. I have to watch Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> this year for Christmas. I do draw the line at watching Bridgerton with my dad. That is not how it <laughs> 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 All right, well, hopefully we'll all be in a place where we're able to watch it and enjoy it with family. As yes. Possible. That's our wish for everyone <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to get to watch awkwardly sexy things with their family. Christmas. Yes. All right, Priya. Do, well, I don't know if you know our tagline, what we say when we leave. So why don't I just have Kristen say it? Kristen, what do we say? We have delighted you long enough. Bye. Bye. <laughs>